If you would turn your Bibles this morning, Romans chapter 8, uh, we're gonna, that's going to be a starting point in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I want to preach this morning or talk to you this morning about embracing the journey. That's the title of my message, Embracing the Journey. A number of years ago, I saw a humorous bumper sticker that I thought, that I thought about buying at the time and putting on the back of my car and never did. It was just a typical manly bumper sticker. It went like this. It said, I'm lost, but I'm making record time. Everyone knows that real men don't stop to ask directions. Sooner, but probably later, we'll find it on our own. Like it or not, we all are making record time. Look in the mirror. Like it or not... We are all making record time. Time doesn't stand still for anyone. Did you ever notice when you meet old classmates after 30 plus years that in your mind you think, who is that old person? I'm so glad I don't look that old. The funny thing is, is that they're probably thinking the same thing. All of humanity is on a journey. Some are just aimlessly wandering through life. Countless multitudes are aimlessly wandering on the highway to hell because the Bible says that broad is the way that leads to destruction. Oh, how important it is to know the Lord and to find our God-given purpose. Only one life so soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. The Westminster Confession, which is an old confession of the church, it states this. It says that the chief end of man, or the main purpose of man, the chief end of man, is to glorify God and to enjoy His presence forever. Number one, if you're writing down, we are on a journey in which God desires to conform us to the image of His Son. Whether you like it or not, we're all on a journey. Some are just aimlessly wondering. But time does not stand still. I'm in the last third of my life. Should Jesus tarry? And God gives me grace and allows. And the older you get, the more you realize just how short time is. I can't believe that I'm the age I am. But I look in the mirror and I'm reminded of that. But we are on a journey in which God desires to conform us into the image of His Son. Look with me, if you would, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here in this passage, we have a wonderful assurance that God works all things for good in our lives. What Satan plans for your destruction, God plans to make you stronger. What Satan uses to make you bitter, God wants to make you better. I challenge you this morning, refuse to be bitter. Refuse bitterness in your life and refuse to allow unforgiveness to harbor in your heart. 
The Romans used to torture people by tying a dead person to the person's back and carrying them around until they themselves died. I use that illustration many times with inmates in the prison system. And they'll come in and they'll tell me of situations that have happened in life. I mean, sin and the wages of sin is so devastating. I had a young man come to my office some time back and told me his sister was murdered and the fellow who murdered her cut her in pieces and dropped her through the woods. And he said, chaplain, for so long, I hated that man. And I just longed till I would meet him. He said, one day our paths crossed and I broke him up. I damaged him big time. I didn't kill him, but I damaged him big time. He said, though, chaplain, I came to a place where I realized that I could not carry this bitterness and this hatred in my life. It was eating me alive. He said, chaplain, I had to turn it over to God. And I turned that over to God, that devastation in my life. I turned it over to God and he cut himself free. I say this to you today. If Satan is trying to place a root of bitterness in your life, if Satan is trying to get you to hold on forgiveness in your life, do yourself a favor. Cut yourself free. Because as long as we hold bitterness, as long as we hold uh, hatred or hold unforgiveness in our heart, we're carrying a dead man on our back. Forgiveness is as much for us as it is for those who have offended us. And by God's grace, we need to submit to his grace and let loose of it. Cut yourself free. Don't stay shackled. Don't stay shackled to the one who's offended you. Forgive them. Cut yourself loose and give it to God. Uh, Bible commentator Dr. Warren Wiersbe states that life is a series of hills and valleys and seldom do we go more than two or three weeks in our life that we don't run up against a trial or obstacle. We say to ourselves, if I can just get through this difficult situation in life, life will be nearly perfect. And we overcome that difficulty only to find out that another difficulty replaces it within a week or two, three weeks. You ever notice that? Have, haven't we all done that? We've, got, we've, we've come up against something and we've just been devastated by it. We say, if, if, you know, if I can just make it through this. If I can just make it through this, I'll have victory for the rest of my life. And two or three weeks later, you have another problem. And so life is full. It's, uh, life is a series of hills and valleys. And sometimes we suffer because we've sowed bad seed in our life. We all know the passage in Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived, God's not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Sometimes we sow a bad seed and we reap a harvest of pain pain of our sin that brings us to repentance and so pain is not necessarily bad when we we realize that we've we've we haven't lined up with god's word and and we've experienced the pain of that many times it drives us to our needs and drives us back to god second timothy three twelve also tells us here's what it says it says in fact everyone who lives uh, who wants to live a godly life in christ jesus will be persecuted there are times that we suffer, friend. 
we have done the right thing. We have done the righteous thing. We have walked in God's ways. We have our heart is to please the Lord and walk with the Lord and serve the Lord. And yet we come against difficulties in our life. Sometimes we are persecuted for righteousness sake. Let me say this to you. We are in a spiritual warfare. We as believers are in a spiritual battleground. And yes, the enemy of our soul. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so I say to you today, if you find yourself in the middle of a difficult circumstance, don't ever give up on God in difficult times. Don't ever give up on God. When your best friend leaves you, don't ever give up on God. When you suffer from from financial loss, don't ever give up on God. When you don't understand what God is doing in your life and you don't understand life circumstances, don't ever give up on God. From time to time, I run across people and they say, you know, hey, chap, I'm, I'm, I'm giving up on God. It don't work. And I say, why is that? Well, I gave my life to God and things are just working out. Oh, so we don't serve God when we hit difficult times? Friends, I need Jesus. I need Jesus not only when I'm on the mountaintop, I need Jesus in the valley. See, I need him all the time. And I've just determined in my heart, I don't know what's going to come my way, but I tell you what, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I need him in difficult times. I need him when, I don't, when life doesn't make sense. Dr. Dobson wrote a book a number of years ago, When Life Doesn't Make Sense. It doesn't always make sense. I need him in that, those times. Secondly, we are on a journey together having been baptized by one spirit into one body. And if you will turn with me over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And if you will look with me at verse 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Look with me there if you would for a second. For we were all baptized by one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit... When you got saved, it was the Holy Spirit, the work of regeneration. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body. The Lord has one body, doesn't he? The Lord has one church. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. How about that? We are on a journey together, having been baptized by one spirit, which is the Holy Spirit, the work of regeneration, into one body. God's kingdom work and fulfilling the Great Commission around the world will not be accomplished by one TV ministry, one fellowship, or one denomination. It involves the whole body of Christ. That's the whole, it involves the whole body of Christ. I commend your church in having, uh, being, having the vision to start a, a thing such as the day where you are involved in outreach ministry, including other churches in your area. Because you know what? We all belong. All those who are truly born again belong to one body, the body of Christ. Now, there are some religious folks who would rather, they would rather, rather than fighting the devil and, and spend all their time and effort sparring and debate, debating other Christians whose theology doesn't match up perfectly with theirs. Have you ever met someone like that? That's, that's the work of the devil. 
There are some folks, they get saved, and they just go around looking for people who they can spar with. You know, well, well, brother, let me tell you, I know the word. You just come to my house and, and meet with me, brother. I'll share the word with you. I've, I've, got, I've got it all figured out. I've got this all figured out. And so they spend their time fighting other believers instead of fighting the devil. Have you ever met someone like that? I have and through the years. I've met people like that. They're so busy fighting the church down the street, the fellowship over the way, that they forget that you and I wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. Our fight is not with other believers. Hey, they're part of the same body, those who are truly born again. And our fight is with the devil. And so let's agree to disagree and put our efforts into what Jesus came to do. And that was to destroy the works of the devil. That's what you and I are about. We're not spending our time sparring with our fellow brothers. We're spending our time destroying the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And just as the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ, he has led you to a local church. Turn and look at your neighbor and say... God has placed you in my life so that I might spiritually grow and to help you grow. You know what? You, you're not, you don't come to this church by happenstance. I don't believe that. No, God led you here. God brought you here. I believe that not just as you were born again, God predestined to have a church, that he has sought in his will to bring you here so that you might spiritually grow and help others grow around you. You see, there is a spiritual synergy that takes place when the people of God come together in collective worship, in collective fellowship, in collective of operating in the spiritual gifts and evangelism that you could never have by yourself. One person could never do something like the day. Not even one church could do something as sophisticated as today. It takes the cooperation of the local body to do such a thing as that. Did you know that they have found out? Uh, I didn't, you say, well, what's that word, synergy? Synergy is what takes place. A good example of that would be you take uh, some locomotives. Uh, this morning I drove down through Reading to come here. And when you take like three locomotive engines and you hook them together and pull together, did you know that they can pull more railroad cars collectively than they could ever pull alone? When you connect, there is something that takes place when the people of God come together and the giftings of God come together and they work in operation together as one. There is something that takes place that's out of this world. There's something that takes place. There's a spiritual synergy going on in worship. There is a spiritual synergy that going on in fellowship. There is a spiritual synergy going on in spiritual gifts. If one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight, what's going on there? That's the prayer of agreement. There's a spiritual synergy when the people of God join their hearts as one and work for the kingdom of God. Something very, very powerful. 
something very, very powerful takes place. Now, being involved in the body of Christ will teach us how to love others. And guess what? God is going to bring you some people, bring some people into your life that are a little harder to love than others. Being involved in the body of Christ also helps us to bear one another's burdens. Now, Proverbs 27, 17 says that like iron sharpens iron, so a brother does for his brother. We sharpen one another. Now, let me say this to you. When iron sharpens iron, sparks fly. And I can promise you this in your life. If you've been around the kingdom for a while, they're going to come, they're going to become some people into your life that when you and them get together, sparks are going to fly. And sometimes you might not always even appreciate them. Don't run away. God matures us when we learn how to deal with difficult people. And let me say this to you. Let your pastor, let your spiritual leaders, let your brothers and sisters speak the truth and love to you. Sometimes that hurts, but it's for your good. Deceitful are the kisses of the enemy, but faithful are the wounds of a brother. And each of us need people into our life that will speak the truth in love. They'll speak it to us. And sometimes we don't even like it. And that hurts sometimes. I shared in the morning's service, uh, I had a wall-wall experience about four, four or five years ago. My family, we were traveling back. I, I don't know where we were at. We were on a road trip. We love road trips. We absolutely love road trips. We, uh, every year we... Usually I, I'm in the prison all day and I jump in the car and I'll, I'll, I'll go, go home and get Cynthia and we'll, we'll load the car and I'll drive nonstop to like Monroe, Monroe Louisiana for a, a minister's conference and we get there like 23 hours later. We love road trips. Something about on the road again. We like that. Well, we were coming back up through, up, up through like Washington, D.C. And, and we pulled off. We need to make, uh, make a pit stop. So we pulled off into Wawa. And I go into the restroom, and Wawa's not the, the, the fanciest place, places there. And they had none of those. You know how you have those toilet seat protectors they have? They didn't have any of those. And so used the restroom, and I came out of there feeling pretty good about myself. And I walk up to the coffee machine and, and pour myself a big old cup of coffee, just, just enjoying the day. I didn't realize that I had a three-foot piece of toilet paper hanging off the top of my pants that was trailing me through the wall wall. Do you know, not one person came up there. Not one person came up and said, hey, hey, buddy, you know, you might want to check, you know, what's trailing you. Not one, not one. But my loving son, over here he is. He come up from behind. I'm there pouring my coffee in the middle of Wawa, pouring my coffee, just enjoying the day. God is good. And he comes up, and he's laughing his head off. He says, hey, Dad, you have a great big piece of toilet paper that's hanging down to your knees. And both he and Cynthia, now, she's, she's a wonderful, faithful wife, but she had a laugh at my expense also. She really did. She enjoyed that. That just made her day and made his day. You know, but no one else came and told me that. 
And when they told me that, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I was embarrassed and I was hurt because I didn't want that toilet paper to be trailing me that day. I really didn't. And I was even embarrassed that they seen it. I was embarrassed that my wife seen it. And I was even more embarrassed that the whole wall wall saw it. I say it to you is because there are times in our life that people will speak into our life. And sometimes, sometimes we get out of line. They will speak things into our life that at the time we might not appreciate. But faithful are the wounds of a true friend. Remember that. And then remember this also. Not only God brought you to this local body, God places us into a physical family. And God uses them to help shape you in your life. God uses your family to shape your life. He really does. I say to you, love them. Don't burn your bridges. I work with people all the time that haven't talked to their loved ones for years and years and years and years. They say, well, chap, I don't talk to them anymore. They didn't send me any money order. I'm not talking to them anymore. Chap, they haven't come seen me in 10 years. Don't burn your bridges. Watch what God can do in your life if you appreciate those. You know, I, I was raised in a, in a Christian home, and I, my, I have a wonderful, nurturing mother, and I had a very strong father who disciplined me. And can I tell you this? I probably, what I learned from my father has helped me to do what I do today. And so God uses, he uses our families of origin or your adopted families. He uses your church family. He uses the body of Christ to develop you and to help you like iron sharpens iron. So just remember that. And thirdly, God gives us a supernatural source of power for the journey. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you shall receive power, Jesus said. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria into the uttermost parts of the earth. It started right at home and spread out. I challenge you to get filled. Get filled with the Spirit and stay filled. Ephesians 5, 18 tells us that we need not to be drunk with wine where is in excess, but be filled and continually be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Jude, uh, Jude, there's only one chapter, verse 20 says, build yourself, beloved, build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. I challenge you to make use of the supernatural resource that God can use in ministering to other people. There's a verse of scripture in 2 Corinthians 10.4. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Here's where the rubber meets the road, friend. We need to be people that are conformed, that we embrace what God's doing in our life, that we empty ourselves out, that we get filled with the Spirit and refilled and stay full of the Spirit. And then we need to be people who pray. You know, John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Ask the Lord. What was amazing this morning is the songs that they sang. They had no idea what I was preaching on, and I had no idea what they were singing. But they sang a song this morning about... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We call it the Lord's Prayer. 
Uh, really, it's a disciple's prayer. Pray, ask the Lord to manifest his kingdom and his will in the daily events of your life. I challenge you this week to do that. Get up every day and say this to the Lord. Get up every day and say, Lord, let your spiritual kingdom come. Let your will be done in the daily events of my life. Do that. I challenge you to do that. And watch what God does in your life. Watch who God supernaturally brings in your life and the supernatural connections that he does in your life. I believe that God is just waiting. God does nothing in answer to prayer. What's he do? What's he do? Then he waits for us to pray. He burdens our heart. When God wants to send revival to a church, he burdens the people's heart in the church. They begin to pray, and then God ministers by his spirit. There have been numerous times when missionaries will, uh, they say they were in the middle of a crisis, and God woke someone up halfway around the world to pray for them at that moment. Well, why didn't God just do it? Because God does nothing but an answer to prayer. He gave us that model prayer. And so you and I have a vital part to play in what God does in his kingdom here on earth. We pray thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come into my life. Let your will be done in my life. Move by your supernatural power in my life and watch what God does. Watch what he does in your life. I just want to tell you a couple of quick testimonies. There was a young man that's at prison. He is a lifer there. Probably came there 10, 11 years ago, 12 years ago maybe now. He's in his 30s. He's already done that much time. He's doing his life sentence. Came from a very abusive, abusive background. Uh, he said, when I murdered the fellow that I murdered, chap, he said, I saw my stepfather's face. He said, I really wasn't murdering that fellow. I was murdering. I was murdering my stepfather who had abused me for years. This young man came to the prison. This young man was involved. He was a Satanist. Had a, a Bible from Anton LaVey, a, a Satanic Bible. Uh, been invo- was involved in homosexuality and involved in craziness in his life. And one day he came to my office and... Uh, we can't change people by giving them a nice story. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's his kingdom that comes into our lives. And he came and sat down in my office and, and began to cry. This guy, you know, he didn't cry in front of his friends. He'd rather fight than cry. But he came and, and I said to him, I said, are you done yet? He said, what are you talking about? I said, are you tired of living the way you live? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, you know what? You've tried everything else and it hasn't worked. Why don't you give your life to Jesus? This is an ordinary day where I was, well, where was that? He gave his life to Jesus. And that was about four years ago. His life has been transformed. God changed his loves. They're no longer there in the next cell beside him. God changed his life. He hadn't talked to his mother, or he hadn't seen it. He hasn't, still hasn't seen his mother, and probably since he came to prison, she lives in another state. But you know, he's come to know Jesus, and now he is a missionary. He sees his life as a missionary on the inside, and so you know what I do? I have men come 
have men come to prison. We have all kinds come to prison, not just real bad people. Just have a wonderful Pennsylvania State Police officer that's now my chapel clerk. He's doing a life sentence. We have doctors. We have different people. But when a man comes to my office and says, Chap, I'm scared. I'm scared to come to chapel. I'm scared. I'm, I'm afraid that someone's going to hurt me. I say to him, you don't have to be afraid. I'll call for the young man that's doing life. He's a life missionary. Hey, come in here. See this guy? Yeah, chap. You look after him. I want you to take him under his wing, underneath your wing. And I have men now that are in the prison who are doing life sentences that when guys come into prison and they're, they're fearful, now they have brothers come alongside them and say, hey, man, I'm going to take care of you. You come hang with me. That is the neatest thing in the world. I, want to, I just want to tell you one more, one, one more story that, that happened about a, well, probably about three months ago. I had a young man who was practicing Islam, bouts of being suicidal, and uh, he wrote a note to come see me and talk to me, and he came and talked with me. And again, it was one of those God connections that were made. And as I was talking to him, you know, he was telling me how his life was just an utter shambles. And so I led him to the Lord that day and gave him some hookups. Hey, Pete, come in here. See this guy here? You take care of him. You know what happened? The neat thing that happened to this man's life, he's just been growing. God's been doing neat things in his life. Just recently, though, I don't know what he did. Maybe he was not in a place he should have been, and they took him down the hole, put him down the hole for not obeying an order or something. I don't know what it was. Well, while he was down there in the hole, he got sold up with another guy. This other guy about two weeks ago was in the chapel. He's not a Christian. He's of another religion. And in front of the chapel, about in front of 20, 25 guys, he read my pedigree. He read me up one side and down the other side. And he was all emotional, and it was a real big to-do. And I thought to myself, you know that guy really needs to get saved. That's what that guy needs. He really needs to get saved. Well, guess what happened? He went to the hole the last week or so. The guy led to the Lord about three months ago. He talks to him about Jesus while they're in the hole. He gets saved. The guy that read my pedigree two weeks ago. He got saved, and the chaplain came back who was visiting uh, down. We do a daily round into the, the RHU and into the, the houses and units where there, there's lockdown. He said, you know what? And he mentioned the guy who I led the Lord three months ago. He said, do you know what he did? He went down to the hole, and he led his celly to the Lord, and he baptized him too. I'm not sure where his water source was because there's a toilet bowl, and there's also, there's also a little, little, little tiny, tiny, tiny sink. These guys, their lives have been transformed. Their lives have been changed by the power of God. It wasn't anything, I, I, I'm just an ordinary individual just trying to serve the Lord and walk out my faith. But it's, it's God's kingdom coming into our ordinary lives. And that's why I say to you, I say, you will be amazed. You will be utterly amazed if you begin to pray that and pray that and mean that. Lord, I pray that your kingdom come, that your will be done in my life. Let your kingdom interact with my daily life. Let your kingdom do that.
God will bring people into your life that will just flat out blow your mind. It will just, you'll go, wow, how did that happen? Wow, how did that happen? It wasn't a hard thing. I didn't have to try to, oh, please, please come to know Jesus. Please do this. Oh, please, you know. No, it happened because God saw fit. There was a divine appointment. And I would challenge you today in your life. I would challenge you to do that. Get filled. Stay filled. Realize that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. There is a spiritual synergy at work in you. Hallelujah. There's a spiritual power at work in you, the Holy Spirit. And then you begin to pray, Lord, manifest your spiritual kingdom and your will in my daily life. And watch what God does. Now, being conformed to the image of Christ is the abundant life. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. The more abundant life is not the absence of troubles. It's not the absence of troubles. It's a close walk with Jesus and fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Can I tell you that right now I feel like I'm in a pressure cooker where I'm at, where I'm ministering. Can I tell you this? I've never had a more effective ministry than I am right now. Right now with with the inmates. God using me to to minister to men and seeing men change and transform. I had a lifer come up to me, just transferred out of Pittsburgh, came up there, and he said, you know, chap, he said, I've never experienced the power of God like I have. You know, he's done probably already 20 years on on a life sentence. I've never, in all the jails I've been, I've never experienced the power of God like I feel it in the chapel. Friend, we have, we have Holy Ghost services. I'm telling you, we have Holy Ghost services in the chapel. Guys coming over. Oh, we got a lot of guys who need Jesus. A lot of guys who need Jesus, too. We have guys coming over that don't know their sexual orientation. When they meet Jesus, though, he'll get that turned around. Guys filled with all kinds of hatred, all kinds of anger, all kinds of bitterness. But when they meet Jesus, he'll turn that around. And so, so I challenge you, just because you're going through difficult times doesn't mean, not, doesn't mean that you're in the will of God. It doesn't mean that. Matter of fact, I can tell you this. When you start being a, uh, a life changer, for the kingdom of God, you are going to have opposition. I can promise you that. And so we're experiencing that right now. Just the other, um, the other week, I had a young man who served in the chapel. He served as an Islamic clerk. And uh, him and I have had many, many conversations. I planted a lot of seed in his life. I planted a lot of seed in his life. He did 18 years. He's going back out to the community. He's going back out to Philadelphia, where he came from. We have people from your area that I know and minister to that have committed crimes in your area that are right there with us. This young man has done 18 years. You know when he left? Now, this is a Muslim. He came up to me and hugged me and said, I love you. And I hugged him and I said, and we don't hug in jail, by the way. We don't, we don't hug in jail. I've known him for 10 years. We don't hug in jail. We just, we just don't do it. We shake hands, you know. That's the manly thing. But he came up and hugged me and left. He said, I love you. And I, I said to him, I love you too. 
sometimes I would just plant seed like, you know, one day when you become a Baptist minister like your uncle. But I'm just saying to you, you never know who you are going to change. You never know. You know how you change people? You don't change them. It's the power of the Holy Spirit work. And it's to love them like Jesus would love them. Listen, you're not going to change nobody. Uh, You're not going to see anyone change until they know that you love them and care about them. People can care less how much you know. They want to know how much you care. They really, really do. And so I, I would just say, I would say to you today, God give each of us a vision of where we live. God give us a vision. It would just be your hand extended, however that is. God can take the ordinary day and turn it into a supernatural event. He can do that and change your life. And I would challenge you today to pray that prayer, to pray that, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life, just as your will is done in heaven. And watch what God does. I would like to conclude this morning. Would you come to the altar with me? And we're going to close right here at the altar. I can say this to you. I think every time we hear the word of God preached, we need to respond to it in some way or another. We need to respond to it in one way or another. It's not just enough to hear the word. We need to be doers of it. And sometimes when the Holy Spirit lays something fresh in your heart, you need to seal that. You need to say, okay, Lord, now I need to make application of that. And that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do right now.